We're going to be in Matthew 27 chapter. We're not going to finish it. There's a great deal in here. I'm amazed at, at the songs we sing tonight. Pretty amazed on how they go with what we're talking about. Um, there's a lot in this chapter. Ian got the first 31 verses. We're going to start there in verse 32. To set that up a little bit, kind of refresh your memories. Memory, Christ is being led to the hill of Golgotha. He suffered unspeakable pain and anguish with the scourging. He'd been delivered to Pilate. There was a discussion there. There was no, no uh, fault found. Pilate takes him out and tries to convince the, the, the mob that he, was, that he should not be punished. They said, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate washes his hands. Jesus is scourged. And we figured that, excuse me, historians think that it probably went on about daylight, about daybreak. So if you figure 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, this scourging took place for a long time. And just about the point, of, you know, Romans has been said, the Romans were experts in bringing you up to the point of death and then backing you off. So this went on for a considerable length of time before he was led to be crucified. Read a few verses there. In Ian's part, I want to read that just a little bit. So the Bible says, Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So again, this was covered two weeks ago, but I want us to set this up. Verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Verse 30, Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. So like I said, this went on for a considerable length of time. The Bible tells us it was 9 o'clock when they crucified him. We'll get to that in a minute. So for a period of, even if we figure 7 o'clock until 9 in the morning, that's when all this took place. So that kind of sets up to the point of where we are now. The third hour they crucified him according to Mark, 25, Mark 15 and 25. So this went on for a considerable length of time. That brings us to our text, verse 32. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. My divided, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." Historians tell us that this sour uh, wine mingled with gall was, was something they customarily did to, to give them a drug or something that would alleviate some pain, even extend the show, make it last a little bit longer, that it might be fulfilled. <coughs> that was spoken up by the prophet. So Christ wants to fulfill every. Not one jot or one iota will pass from the, from the law till all is fulfilled. So again, emphasis on the prophets 
And we're going to go there tonight. We want to see exactly what Christ was thinking. We want to see, I want to, wanted to look and see exactly what his feeling was in all that. Here's the uh, fulfillment of the prophecy given by the psalmist, Psalms 69, 21. They gave me also gall for my meat and in my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. So again, fulfilling of the law over and over, even in this few verses we're covering tonight, there were so many, so many prophecies fulfilled. Back to our text, verse 36. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Well, this angered, this angered greatly the Jews. John's account, John 19 and verse 19, tells us now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then as many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified, then many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So this greatly angered the Jews. They did not like it at all. Verse 21, therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So they tried to get this taken down. It was in a prominent place, this hill of Golgotha, people coming in and out. They did not want that said. And not only did Pilate have it written or do it himself, he actually did it in three languages. Three languages to make sure everyone could see who this was. Verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So we talked about already, we've already mentioned the mocking. We've already mentioned, we know what he went through. We have, we don't know, but we are told what he went through in the scourging. But now we're starting to get the mocking. Now we're starting to get more of wagging their heads, saying these mocking things. The physical pain, I can't imagine what Christ went through. I cannot imagine. But the mental anguish that he was suffering, when he came out from being scourged, he was nearly at the point of death, and they hang a dying person on the cross, and you can't even get a single bit of compassion from anyone. This was their, this was their attitude toward this he was already beaten and mangled to the point of being unrecognizable, and this was their reaction. Verse 41, Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, he saved, himself, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So again, this went on for hours. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the whole land. Now that's noon. The third hour is what Mark said is when they crucified him. That's nine o'clock in the morning. The sixth hour is noon. The ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. 
This went on for hours. And not only is he suffering and bleeding to the point of dying, unrecognizably beaten and mangled, but he has to endure the mocking and the blaspheme. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered him to drink. Again, a little bit, possibly an act of mercy there. The rest said, don't do that. They didn't want to see any mercy, did they? He said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost. Cannot imagine the physical pain that Christ went through. But how about the emotional agony of the people he was trying to save, having to endure that from the people he was trying to save? Paul said it this way in Hebrews 12 and verse 2. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down the right hand of the, majesty, right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, terrible, unspeakable pain and suffering, but despised the shame. Despised the shame there. That's the disgrace despise that. So as difficult as that, as that physical torture undoubtedly had to be, and I can't imagine, he endured that, but the emphasis there is despising the shame. The shame of the cross. The cross today, we see statues, we see crosses, on the highway, memorials on top of mountaintops with the cross, uh, jewelry, everything else. The cross at the time of Christ was the lowest of the low. It was, it was the most feared, the most, uh, the worst crime was punished with that. It was the lowest of the low. It was far from the piece of jewelry that it's regarded as now. Deuteronomy 21 tells us there in verse 22, the old law says that if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and is put to death and you, ha and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree. But you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So the Son of God is actually accursed of God, despising the shame, the shame of being accursed of God. Not only the shame that he endured, the emotional trauma that he endured on top of his physical pain, but the estrangement from God, regarded as being accursed of God. That's what he despised. Isaiah 53, put it this way. Have you ever asked yourselves too, in these Old Testament prophets, 
What did they think they were writing down when they wrote these things? What did they think they were? You know, Isaiah was persecuted. He had problems. But certainly he knew this didn't apply to him. And some of this I know Ian covered last week. I'd like to go over it again. It's pretty instructive. Isaiah 53, starting there in verse 1. Who has believed? This is about the Messiah. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Now, Ian explained that was coming up in his service to God, not as a little shaver. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. After he has been thoroughly scourged to the point of death, what was their reaction? He's despised and rejected of men. This man who came into Jerusalem to praise and glory and palm leaf in the street, hailed as the Messiah, was now despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, verse 3, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did, esteem, did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He uncovered that two weeks ago. That's how we regarded him. That's how we thought of Christ that day. This man to the point of death, hanging on the cross, bloody and beaten and dying, could not get an ounce of sympathy from anyone. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't even try to defend himself. Who's strong enough to endure that? Who among us would ever be strong enough to not say anything to endure not only the pain and suffering, we often consider that. I think we do a pretty good job of considering that. But piled on top of that was the estrangement from God and the abuse he took from the people he was trying to save. Everyone deserted him. He still opened not his mouth. Verse 8, continuing on in Isaiah 53, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Taken from prison. Well, there was no prison but there was judgment, but the prison and judgment referring to there is death. He was taken from that. Well, who would declare his generation? It was only 33 years. Very short, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, Isaiah said, he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. <laughs> 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Okay. Who will declare his generation? Verse 8. So when you make his soul, when God makes his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. There was a purpose. Continuing on, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That had to be his thoughts, his only thoughts. Thy will be done. We can't look at the short term. If we ever had an example of it, this is it. Verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for transgressors. He himself poured out his soul. When he was receiving, when he was listening to the mocking, the piling on, the complete lack of any compassion and sympathy, as he hung there dying, pouring out his soul, making intercession for us, bearing our sins. Similar passage in Psalms 22, but David gets more into the emotion of Christ. A thousand years before Christ, he's telling us what Christ might be feeling. You wonder if, because David had lots of problems too. David's running from Saul and he's hiding in caves and he's going to the land of the enemy and living there for a while. And, and he's, he's constantly praying to God in all these psalms, psalms and asking for help and doing these things. But there's no way that David could think that this was about him. Here's what he said in Psalm 22. And a lot of the things that were fulfilled in Matthew 27 were prophesied of in this chapter. Psalm 22. Starting verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On top of everything else, the estrangement from God, being forsaken by God. God couldn't look on sin can't today. He continues on, why are you so far from me, from helping me, and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed but I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. Jesus 
understood that he was regarded by men, by the crowd that day, as not even worthy of compassion, a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, a disgrace, despised by the people. Verse 7, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from my birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. This is true of every person who's ever born, but how much more so is it true of the Son of God? Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. And in that day, he describes it in the most frightening terms that he, that he can. The Holy Spirit tells us, tried to make us understand a little bit in the most frightening images that he can. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. So we've got strong bulls, these mad bulls encompassing, trapping him. Roaring lions ready to devour. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we're a little bit overwhelmed with some of the things that can go on, you've probably done this, I've done this, set up in the middle of the night and you feel like you're actually strangling. We get overwhelmed with some of the, well, maybe with tragedy, maybe, maybe it's with sickness, maybe we see those things. We will have those things to deal with. It pales in comparison. It can't, it can't even compare. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. These fierce, mad bulls, roaring lions, and dogs, the most frightening pictures, beasts of that day. That's what he compared to the people who surrounded him. This is what Christ was looking at. He said, I can count all my bones. Some of the things they did with the scourging is to remove the flesh from the backbone. It was very common that the backbone was actually visible. And as he's hanging there, he said he could actually... The prophecy says, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. 
Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. Again, the bulls, the lions, and the dogs. And Christ knows full well he's not going to be delivered from the physical pain and suffering. So what's he asking for here? Save me from the, the lion's mouth, from the power of the dog, from the bulls. Some of that could apply to David, but very little. But Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1 and verse 10, that it was revealed unto them a little, but a lot of what they wrote they did not understand. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired, 1 Peter 1 and verse 10, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. So the prophets, David's one of those, Isaiah, Jeremiah, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy <coughs> Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. It was told them. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, they were doing this for us. So we would have a little bit of an understanding, a little bit of an inkling of what Christ went through. Psalm, the end, the last two verses we read there said, Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth. He's not going to be saved this side of death. He was going to have to do that. Asking for God to, God's help was asking for help beyond this life. He knew what he had to do in this life. Continuing on there, he says, you have rescued me. So as we, as we consider the unspeakable pain and the unspeakable emotional trauma, psychological trauma, the psalmist said about Christ, he said, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Again, dogs, lions, and the wild bulls, you've rescued me. When did that take place? It didn't take place until after he rose him from the grave. That's when it took place. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you offspring of Jacob. Glorify him and stand in awe of him all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He heard Christ. He hears us today. And we don't have to 
do anything compared to that. But when we have those situations, we can go to God because he answers prayers just as he did Christ. Just as he did Christ. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard him when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall seek and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. For all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All of the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. Eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Who could do that? Who could do that? Praise and honor and glory. No one else. No one else could come close. And he did that for us for the joy. That wasn't for his. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That was our joy. That was for us. <clears throat> Revelations 5, verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him, who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? And no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. John knew who they were talking about, didn't he? One of three of the closest apostles. He said, I know that guy. <coughs> Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is the only one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth who could do what he did. Not only, not only is he the only one who was worthy, not only is he the only innocent blood that there was on earth, ever has been on earth, but he alone had the strength, had the faith to do what he had to do for the joy of us. Hebrews 4, verse 15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. We're going to be overwhelmed too. We're going to feel like the dogs have circled us. Wild bulls, whatever it is, we're going to feel overwhelmed. But Jesus is not going to turn a blind eye. He's not going to be merciless toward us as they were toward him. We can obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. For the joy that was set before endured the cross, despising the shame. Our joy, brothers and sisters. Colossians 2 and 12 tells us we, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Faith in the operation of God. Baptism in which you were also raised with him. In which? In baptism we're raised with Christ through faith in God who raised him from the dead. Who brought him through, allowed him to endure what we could never endure allowed him to subject himself to what we could never subject our, ourselves to for our joy, for our celebration. So when we get to the point where he did, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I wanted this to, to look at, a little closer at the emotional side the emotional torture, the nightmare that he went through on every possible level for the joy, for our joy, he did that. We'll stop there and appreciate your attention. Never want to close with that, extending the invitation to anyone who hasn't.